Kia ora, I'm Emile Donovan and today on The Detail, a perfect storm of governance in the biggest city in the South Island. Something like 420 people left the council last year. The budget for Christchurch's new stadium could now blow out by up to $150 million, taking the cost to nearly $700 million. It's 42% satisfaction overall and a headline figure of 42% is really low. An exodus of staff, a marquee stadium with a ballooning price tag, widespread dissatisfaction and, to cap it all off, a persistent and pungent odour. Kids who live near Christchurch's burnt-out wastewater treatment plant are hiding in their bedrooms when the revolting smell is too much to bear. Today on The Detail, Newsroom's South Island correspondent David Williams on his story about trouble afoot at Christchurch City Council. How bad is it? How much of this is really the council's fault? And how can it be turned around? David Williams, welcome to The Detail. Great to have you here. Great to be here. Thanks so much. I feel like maybe we should start maybe by grounding this in some context because, you know, when people hear about councils and internal turmoil, the mind probably understandably jumps to, like, tauranga and uh, post-quake Christchurch, you know, and commissioners and government intervention and stuff like that. So ground your story in some context for me. We're not quite talking at that level at this stage, are we? I don't think so. I would think anyone who lives anywhere would think that some good you know, turmoil in a council, if you like, can be useful because there might be problems that needed to be sorted out quicker than they are. There might be some internal wrangling within the council between the elected councillors and the staff that has hit the headlines and shouldn't have. So sometimes it can be useful, but it, it appears that there is a perfect storm with the city council in Christchurch at the moment and a number of really big things that are coming to a head. And a lot of them do relate back to the earthquakes and that kind of hangover. There was that tussle between the Crown and the councillors to who would pay for what and the imposition of a blueprint in the central city. The details include a more compact, greener CBD, a new convention centre, a 35,000-seat-covered stadium and arts, health and justice hubs. There are things that have gone up and been built, but there are other things that have taken a long time and there's barely a shovel in the ground. And in fact, we moved back here about five years ago and you could see things being built in the city. There were developments opening up. There was the Riverside Market, for example. A whole bunch of things, some of them new, some of them rebuilt. The theatre, for example. And you kind of, I don't know, um, there was something old, something new, but enough shinies to say actually Christchurch is going somewhere. For Whereas for a long time, the city seemed to be stagnant it needed investment and nothing much seemed to be happening. And I think a lot of this is about perceptions, right? People pay their rates and they get angry when they don't get what they want. But of course, every person has a different lens through which they see. They might want different things. They might want things to happen more quickly in some respects more than others. And so when people get a bit frustrated, you might think about, for example, the stadium, you know, this thing that was promised to the city in t- by 2017 and all we've got still is a big empty lot spanning a number of city blocks mm-hmm. and that makes people a bit angry when uh, th- there might be a game of rugby this weekend for example quite an important game of rugby but um, they have to play it at this kind of makeshift former rugby league stadium that they've made do with for a number of years every city needs at least one proper 
Stadium. Sir Robertson, post his victory over the Reds over the weekend, speaks so eloquently for so many of us. We always get under pressure and then we have to ask everyone again. People have, we've already said yes, don't we? Why are we not brave? Why, why, are, we, why are we showing so much um, hesitancy? And they might hark back to the days where they went to, you know, what used to be Lancaster Park and had many other names after that uh, that could hold 40-odd thousand people and host an All Blacks game. Well, I think that people, after this amount of time, they might blame the council for lack of action. And some of that is certainly the council's fault, but some of it is not. And so when it comes to things like the quakes and the after effects, some of that is a little bit misdirected because it's not actually the, entirely the council's fault. But unfortunately, it doesn't matter because in the eyes of some people, if it's the council's fault, then they're going to be the one to blame and they've got to hurry things up. David's story paints an interesting picture. On one hand, the council's books are in decent shape. It's sitting on a $30 million surplus and has nearly $200 million sitting in the bank. But what about the vibe? Do the city's residents think it's moving in the right direction? Short answer, no. You might have seen that on Friday before a long weekend, the council dropped the results of its latest ratepayer survey. Not good. At, I think, a 15-year low, it's 42% satisfaction overall, and there are metrics within there to say what's going well and what's not going well. But a headline figure of 42% is really low. And, you know, the, the council chief executive, Dawn Baxendale, did tell me that Councils have a perception problem at the moment. They're not seen as doing the best job for their ratepayers. And it's true. I looked at the numbers for Auckland and Wellington. They're pretty low. They're, in fact, lower than 42%. Mm. But historically, places like Auckland, I looked at their figures tracking back a number of years, it's always been low. No one likes the Auckland Council. Sorry, Auckland Council. <laughs> but generally speaking, ratepayers don't have a really big high impression of what it does. And that's just the way people have been. Whereas... Actually, historically, Christchurch has had a reasonably high satisfaction rate. Even tracking back to just after the quakes where there was a scene as a bit of a problem at the top, it was Bob Parker, the mayor, and Tony Marriott, the chief executive, who seemed to have a very close relationship. The council lost its accreditation to give out building consents. The Christchurch City Council will lose its authority to grant builder consents from Monday because it's failed to show that it's technically competent to do the work. I mean, that's a bit of a problem for a council. It's its bread and butter job. So even under that pressure, post-quakes, people aren't happy, the ground is shaking, there's a lot of uncertainty, investment money is leaving town. The satisfaction rate, I think, was over 60%. Mm. Yet here we are, I don't know, are people tired of the pandemic? Yes, they are. Can some of it be sheeted home to the pandemic? Of course. But I think the City Council has a bit of a problem there with ratepayers. And then you go to the staff satisfaction survey. Now, the Council has had its last staff satisfaction survey uh, since March. Um, we're sitting in June. It hasn't seen the light of day yet. That could be a telling prospect to say, well, actually, the numbers might not be that good. Although I'm not sure because we haven't seen them. But the last one was not good. There weren't many people within the council who worked there who were surveyed who said they would recommend that other people work there. They, they wouldn't recommend the council as a place to work to their friends or family. And if there's a worse endorsement or indictment on the council's performance, well, the fact that 
people wouldn't endorse it as a place to work. And that's, that speaks pretty loudly, doesn't it? Of course, staff satisfaction rates are a complicated thing. Lots of people who work at an organisation have a strong opinion on what that organisation needs. But that's the thing, they're just opinions. There's no accountability attached to that. And you know what they say about opinions. But Christchurch's City Council does seem to have a bit of an issue when it comes to retaining workers. Some people are saying, well, it's just kind of the ebb and flow of business and maybe it's a bit worse at the moment, but this is just what happens in councils. But given the pandemic and the pressure that people are under and maybe even, the I mean, this is just me talking, but the vitriol that people have faced on the front line, I mean, that's not very pleasant. And maybe people have chosen to move on. But you can see that the numbers, I mean, they are very, very high. I think there was something like 420 people that left the council last year. Well, that's that's a lot of people, even by their standards. Actually, it's nearly one-fifth of the total number of people employed by the council. And this isn't just people being moved on because of a restructuring. Um, there was some restructuring. But these are people who are also choosing to leave the council at this time. Um, and so... The people who don't say it's the ebb and flow say, well, there are some decisions that are being taken at the council which aren't the best decisions and that they're worried that some of those decisions at the top, some of them might be people who have a clash of ideas with the the leadership team and have decided it's best to move on. But uh, there are concerns that maybe restructuring a couple of times during a pandemic with a job market as tight as it is wasn't the best idea. Mm. And also, if you look at councils, I mean, again, in the in the ebb and flow of the way that councils do business, they probably don't want to employ people at the top of the pay rate, but they don't want to be near the bottom either. Mm. And there might be a suggestion that, in fact, given the pressures that council staff have at the moment, maybe they're just not paying enough. The figure who's gotten the most scrutiny for these staffing woes has, of course, been the chief executive, Dawn Baxendale who was appointed to the role in 2019. The local government reporter from Birmingham says the appointment of Dawn Baxendale to the Christchurch City Council is a win for the city. You talk about her career in the piece. She's had a pretty interesting, well, recent career anyway. She arrived at the Christchurch City Council not too long ago. Pretty tough gig. And she came from a pretty tough gig too. That's right. So the Birmingham City Council, she landed there from Southampton. And um, Birmingham had a few problems. Uh, and it had had for quite a number of years. In fact, it had a, a kind of an independent panel that was plugged into the council to try and turn things around. There were big problems, in particular with industrial disputes. Um, and if you want to get a kind of a picture of where that went, uh, there was you know massive piles of uncollected rubbish on the streets because there was an industrial dispute between the council and its workers. Mm. And rubbish wasn't being collected, well, you don't want to see that. That was the kind of physical or public face of the kind of problems that it had. But it was all sorts of other things too. There was secrecy, there was a lack of transparency that had a real problem with talking to its community and telling it what it was doing. And Dawn came in at the end of that. The last report from the independent panel said her approach was refreshing, um, but pretty much she said to them, well, you've got a year left, that's as long as you've got, and let's get as much done as we can. Um, and soon after that, she got a job offer that she couldn't refuse in a beautiful part of the world. Do you think it's fair to say that Dawn Baxendale, she had a tough job when she arrived 
in Christchurch, or at least a job where she would have to make decisions, some of which would be unpopular, by hook or by crook would be unpopular. And she and her team made those decisions, and by Jove, you know, some of them were unpopular with some people. I guess the nature of the job in a sense, isn't it? It is. But you, I mean, the, the thing that somebody said to me, a former staff member, was you answer to a number of people and if you're doing your job right, you've got to, you've got to get it right for uh, the ratepayers, the general ratepayers of Christchurch, the people who either own property or pay rent and, and the rates money flows through to the council, um, but also business people and customers of the council. So people who are probably ratepayers, but these are the people that get the building consents, for example. They use the services of council. They might go to the libraries. They get their bins collected, all those things. And the problem, it seems, is that the executive might be working very well with the councillors and the mayor, and things might be going very well there inside the council chamber and within the walls of the Christchurch City Council. But the the narrative from the person that I talked to was, but if you lose the people, the businesses and the customers, you've lost it. I mean, that is that is the council's job. And without them, it's doing a very poor job. Mm. You talked about this interesting quote that, that Dawn gave. Uh, actually, I think you paraphrased it in the piece, that public sector work is fairly challenging right now. Local authorities aren't particularly well regarded. You know, you're a, you're a journalist who covers local body politics. Do you have an analysis of that? Look at the turnout for local body elections and how historically low they've been. In the last election in 2016, only 42% of eligible voters nationally bothered to vote. There's a low interest anyway. Your baseline for interest in local government, if it's doing its job right, is very low. Mm. As long as things are going well for local government, if a council seems to be doing its job, if people aren't resentful of the the amount of money that they're paying and given the service that they've got, why should you worry about local government? It, it's not really in the scheme of things that important. I guess it only rises to prominence when it gets things wrong. Mm. And so... I guess that you can interpret that particular statement from Baxendale as her interpretation of why things are where they are. We are at a particular point in time. Maybe you could say that because of a general distrust of entities, of state entities in particular, or public bodies, of formally trusted things. You could say that media, you could lump into that as well. Mm. People used to trust all of these institutions and that has been decreasing a lot and social, the rise of social media has dented the credibility or people's confidence in those things. Now, I think what she says is a little simplistic. I think it's also a little dismissive. Certainly, councils do have a tough job and maybe confidence in them across the board is dropping. That's fine. But I think you'll find that there are some quite big issues facing the council they are weighty, not just in size, but in the amount of money that they're costing. Like, no, what other council other than Auckland would be facing the kind of issues that Christchurch has right now? Even Wellington with its infrastructure issues, not many. So there are particular problems in Christchurch, and I think it's a little, uh, I, I don't think it's just about a lack of confidence across the board. I think there are problems at the council, and people are 
a bit angry about what's going on or, or more to the point, what isn't going on. Yeah, well, exactly. And I mean, like, as you said before, if trust in institutions is falling, that isn't a thing that happens in ice. You know, it's not a seasonal thing. And maybe the one of the poster childs for this happening in Christchurch is, again, what you've talked about before, what's happened at Bromley. I mean, that is, when you look at that story, it's indefensible. And even the council themselves have sort of acknowledged that, right? And it's almost like an incremental thing, right? It builds up over time. It does. But also, I mean, it's one thing to apologise after the fact, but do people really understand what's happened in the last six months? Has, has the, the council opened its briefcase and said, OK, well, um, this is what we faced at this point. These are the problems that we had. And these are the reasons why we couldn't do what we wanted to do. And um, I hope that's a lot clearer. But this is the path forward that we've plotted. I wasn't at some of those meetings, so uh, I don't know what was said. Mm. But from what I've read from all the stories from those meetings and from the, the many public apologies by the mayor, I don't get a sense that that, that that has happened, that there is a kind of a very open and transparent uh, rundown of why things have happened the way they have and just a more thorough briefing of the public as to why their money wasn't employed more quickly and the problems weren't fixed. David, just in summary here, I mean, you you described the situation that the council finds itself in at the beginning of this interview. You described it as a a perfect storm. And I I see what you mean by that. You know, there's sort of a a confluence of legacy issues like the stadium, immediate issues that have been mishandled like Bromley, restructuring issues at the council, personnel issues, a feeling of isolation among some influential members of the Christchurch community, like building developers and so on and so forth. So, like, where to from here? Well, first off, I don't think what I've written is unfair. I think there is a feeling out there that the council isn't doing its job, and there are many good reasons for that. And so, really, it's beholden on the council to do a better job. And what that means is exactly what what it says on the tin. When you think about something like the wastewater treatment plant fire, They need to be better about explaining what's going on. But also they need to be sure that they're moving as quickly as possible. I mean, the mayor's comment in particular was telling. She apologised, and her quote was something like, I I thought that there were things happening when they weren't. Well, why did that happen? I mean, it's it's all very easy in hindsight, et cetera, but why did it get to that point? Why were we so many months after this fire with the stench rolling across the city Mm that someone needed to ask what was being done. So if you're going to take one particular event, so the fire and the fallout of that as a sign of what the council can do, that's a problem. So the council needs to apply that logic to all of the projects in front of it. It needs to be open with the public. It needs to be better about telling people what's going on. Maybe it needs to be face-to-face with these communities. That's the thing that Baxendale said, you know, the initial messaging was good, but we didn't get face-to-face with the community fast enough. Well, now you know what to do. Um, You you have big problems like this, you make mistakes, and then you actually either fix the problem, but also you actually fix the way that you deal with things. And that's a, if that's not a lesson they learn, then that's a council that's going to keep going down in popularity, unfortunately. That's it for today. I'm Emile Donovan. The Detail is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. 
Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Sarah Robson. Bonnie Harrison is our associate producer. And thanks to Newsroom's David Williams. Matewa. Wow.